You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. So I have the whole team with me today, save for Rick and Scarlett. We're going on, Sirens is going on its, well, we'll be closing out our third year, coming up on our third podversary in October, and moving on to our fourth season, and up to this point, we have met and networked with a lot of people, Um, experts, people who claim that they're experts. (laughs) Uh, a crap ton of other podcasters. Um, we've even done crossovers with some. We have crossovers planned for the future. And we have seen a lot of things in this biz that I feel like we need to talk about that deserves its own episode. So we are here today all together so that we can talk about ethics in true crime podcasting and professionalism in podcasting. And the first thing that I want to to touch on is that true crime podcasting is not like any other podcasting in the business. And it's because we literally deal with horrific tragic events that has happened to a real person or persons that we are talking about their lives and just putting it out into the airstreams. And so there's a lot of things that go with that in the ethics portion that I feel like needs to be addressed because there's a lot of podcasts out there that are not doing it, um, that don't care to do it. They don't care about victim advocacy. They don't care about um, accuracy in their stories. And a lot of them are... I feel like in this for just entertainment purposes and just money-making purposes. And so we are going to kind of go over some things that we feel like should be a staple in true crime podcasting ethics. If you're going to work in this biz, we really feel like these are some things that we need to stick to. So that being said, the first thing that I want to talk about, qualifications. I said everyone is here with us. Uh, We have Jean, Mandy, Simon, and of course, I am Raven here. The only ones that we're missing that is a part of the rotational uh, co-host crew is, again, Scarlett and Rick. The qualifications portion. If you want to start a podcast, you obviously, other than true crime, probably don't need any qualifications to do so. Uh, you can start a podcast on whatever you want and talk about whatever you want. I do want to point out that when people are avid podcast listeners are looking for a podcast, they are searching for someone who is an authority on that subject. Mm-hmm. For the most part, the podcasts that people listen to are the ones that they know what they're talking about. Because why would you want to learn from somebody that you doesn't know what they're talking about. So that being said, I think that's very important in true crime podcasting. 
I feel like, you know, if you're a one-man show, you need to have some sort of credentials. If you're a two-man show, at least one of you needs to have some sort of credentials. And if you have a slew, like we do, I feel like most of us need to have some sort of credentials. And what I mean by credentials is someone who is currently working in the true crime, the field, whether you're a first responder, whether you're a 911 operator, whether you work in the legal field or in psychology or whatever it is, I feel like you need to have at least be currently working in it where you see it every day and you know the ins and outs of it or you have worked in the field or are very close to the field. I want to take a second because I feel like um, now I've gone over this individually with you guys like when you've been on but I really want people to understand that everyone on this show is pretty much qualified to be here. I was a 911 dispatcher. I had EMT training. Uh, I worked with a lawyer for... 14 years, almost 15 years as a legal assistant and legal researcher. And then I did a year's worth of investigative training where I covered uh, basically intro to criminology, criminal justice, victimology, some light forensics work. We did uh, DNA. We did hair samples and stuff like that. We did fingerprint analysis, like blood spatter. We covered the basis of all of those things. I also do my own, and this is why I'm telling you out there this, because you don't have to go to school to get a master's like Mandy. There are plenty of ways that you can learn at home. There are plenty of ways that you can like, for instance, Justice Clearinghouse. I do a crap ton of, of Justice Clearinghouse. Um, it is put on by professionals, by experts in their field. They teach you how to do X thing. I have probably taken, oh God, like 30 of their courses now. And you get a cute little, you know, you did it certificate at the end or whatever, but you're continuing your education. There are online classes that you can take. Mandy, you are, have you done the victimology courses before? Is this your first time to do them? At the technology center, this will be my first time with the technology center. Of course, I've taught them for college, but I've opened them up to the public. So now, you know, you don't have to be enrolled in a, you know, a bachelor's degree or a specific um, master's degree course. You can just take it. And it's for victimology. Yes. And you can just get on there and learn about victimology. I mean, there's plenty of ways to keep yourself and your mind in this mindset, in this genre, in this field, without having to go and get a master's degree or a bachelor's degree or whatever. Working in the field. I feel like if you are a true crime podcaster and you've got nothing going on, go get a job in the field somewhere. You know how easy it is to go work for a law office and start there? That's where I started. Learn legal research. Learn, um, you know, how to assist them, how to assist them during court, how to um, go through dockets, like just learn as much as you can. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of ways. And first responding, I'm just going to say I have... God, how many EMS workers do I have now? Three? Three. Three. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Simon and Gene and, of course, um, Rick, they are all in EMS. We've got two EMTs and a paramedic. And that is not a super long course to take if you want to get into EMS work. 
Um, I think my EMS course, which is probably, it was a long time ago. It's like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. 2007, I think. Mine was like eight months long. It's longer than mine. <laughs> mine was about six months. Yeah. It does vary. Two. See, I but think it, it's always mine was less than two a months. I think <laughs> that if you do it in like a vocational setting versus it is, on yeah, the job training. In house. In house, yeah. yeah. And a lot of places do in house training. So it's very, it's not as hard as you think to get into the field if you really love doing this if you really love talking about this mm-hmm. i feel like there's a lot of podcasts out there especially the ones that think that this is just for entertainment that have absolutely no credentials have don't even have a toe to step in have never worked in the field doesn't know anyone who works in the field and just likes to drink wine a lot <laughs> or people who i didn't say do the first research this time, for them okay yeah and we've seen this firsthand Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Imagine speaking on behalf of victims. I want to just make sure that you, in the true crime biz, um, a lot of us, a, a lot of listeners who go to find your show want to know that you are the authority in whatever you're talking about. And I, I know that I'm no... I'm no professor, I'm no lawyer, I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like I've done the work over the last 20 years to at least put me to a place where I know how to tell these stories. I know how to advocate for these people. I think one of the things that also separates this show and some of the other really good ones that you've pointed out, Mm -hmm. something that I've noticed uh, that's similar in the way that you handle things from the way that some of the other ones do is it goes along with the credential idea, what you're talking about here, but there's never been a moment that you haven't declared the experience behind the opinions. Yeah. yeah. You've always declared your own personal experience or lack thereof in something. And then you do the same for whoever is guest speaking at the time. You always set that standard beforehand, and you do so on the website as well. Mm -hmm. All of your things come with the disclaimer of some of us have experience in these things. Some of of us are valid speakers on this topic, Mm -hmm. but also that everyone who's speaking here is doing so from that perspective. Yes. None None of us ever come into this with like a mindset of I have to be an authority yeah, on this. Exactly. I can declare that I don't know something about but that. I fe- but that I feel like that's what makes like you an this. authority. Is that you know that, you know, you still have so much to learn. And I'm not saying that every single person is going to know every single thing about everything that right. we cover here. It's not but possible. I, yeah. No. But I am saying that, you know, you at, at least have one of those perspectives. Yeah, you have you, know? you have to approach this from the mindset of no matter what you think you're you're approaching it from you have to approach it from that there may be something in a case that has nothing to do with anything that you've ever experienced in your life and yet there it is in front of you don't act like you know the answers on something that there have been no answers determined that is absolutely pertinent and i think that's where that experience comes into play because when you're in this field, especially the medical field or the legal field, you know that when you don't know something, you need to say you don't know it. Precisely. Uh, because it will be... A problem with yes, that. Yes, it will be implied, it will be inferred that you do know it. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And therefore, it will get you into a lot of trouble later. Pride kills in this line of work. It literally, literally does. It's kind of the Reddit slash Google culture. Kind of what you were talking about of like people seek seek out resources like this show and Mm -hmm. others uh, with the idea of this person is going to be an authority on this. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same thing nowadays due to the availability of information. Whenever I have a problem with my car, Mm -hmm. I immediately Google search it, Reddit search it, YouTube search it. But the thing that's different is I double check to make sure that I'm witnessing something from someone who has either mechanical yeah. experience or at least Absolutely. experience with that right. with you that car manufacturer exactly. from snopes or, or the onion or you just have to, somebody yeah. who is like even if they're just an avid like enthusiast knows the difference between mm-hmm. different things yeah. so yeah well, and and i like that you brought that up because uh i do want to talk about scarlet just for a second from what i understand scarlet has never worked in the field um scarlet is an avid enthusiast and the reason why scarlet is on this show is because when i met her her research skills that she has taught herself it outweighs many of these other podcasts that i have seen um, she has taught herself to go down and, and fill out a FOIA. She has taught herself. Oh, wow. I know. She Holy has, crap. <laughs> she has obtained court records on her own. Like, I was so impressed with just that because that's something that I have to literally break down and explain to someone, like, super layman's terms when, you know, you need to obtain stuff like that. And just the fact that she knows that... Wikipedia is not your source. (laughs) Not your source. I'm going to say this right now. I say this to all my students. Wikipedia, you can read it all day long, but it can be edited. Yes. Yes. So don't take it as word. It's It's mainly uploaded. It's mainly uploaded by just users. You don't know who's uploading that information. The only part of Wikipedia that ever matters is the sources at the bottom of the link. Yes. And, and, then and just click they're true or not. You have to do <laughs> your due diligence. Exactly. Just click Make those sure. and go yeah. see what sources they're citing and then you cite those as your sources. Mm-hmm. But I was so impressed with her and the fact that she is a step above an enthusiast and she's very malleable to the point where now she's under all of our wings. And so there's a lot that she can learn and will learn from us. And I think that that will help her in this field as well. So no, there are exceptions to the rules. And I wanted to bring up um, our friends over at You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma. They are legacy kids. Their entire family is basically first responders or police or um, guards or something in the field. And so they have grown up around that field, just like me and my parents were both paramedics. We've grown up in this. And they're are things that you learn from the adults around you when you're younger that it's even hard to teach to young adults and adults today. Yeah. Like I said, there are exceptions to this rule. I think it's a mindset. Yeah. In this case. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the advantages that we have here is all of us, besides experience, approach things from that mindset and we all have different perspectives correct and that's what i love about this like i i had one person ask me 
why did I go from a two-person show to a one host and a round table with a bunch of co-hosts? It's because of the perspectives. And each episode that we do, I have chosen the best person for that episode. And if I if you're not the expert on it, we'll find one. Because we have questions. And we are at a point where we can get the answers. Like, just your average person out there who listens to podcasts, they tune in because they want the answers as well. And it's hard for them to just go and ask. It's hard for them to get the answers. We are at an advantage where we can, I mean, it's almost, in a way, it's almost like investigative journalism. Because you are constantly contacting people. You're constantly asking people about all sorts of things that falls in your cases. Looking at things constantly. Yes. And and that is like in your your research and development phase of said case or whatever, but you're always looking for new perspectives and you should always look for new. You know, if you can have someone who knows more than you on your show, mm-hmm. get them. I think it's the best way to defeat the problem the To me, the answer to your that question that was asked of you of why did you change the format and everything? Well, it's to defeat the problem that's in a lot of these other podcasts. You defeat an echo chamber that way. Because when it's just two, when it's the same two opinions over and over again, that regardless of your intent, that becomes biased. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And that's why Dateline... You know, in like 2020 and Uh Snapped, Oxygen, they've all become so popular because they've went and put all these experts in, Mm -hmm. looked at stories from so many different views, and it's really, it brings validity to the people telling the, you know, telling someone else's story. Yeah. It kind of sounds like one of the biggest problems in this is one of the biggest problems in any media is integrity. Yeah. It comes down to... What is your actual approach? Yeah. Did you declare that this is educational or did you declare that this is entertainment? Yeah. Because both require integrity. Yes. But the integrity towards an educational standpoint is a little bit harder. And I feel like if you are in this business for entertainment, which you should never be, that's just my opinion. That is weird. But if you are in this business for pure entertainment, then yeah, you need to to say out up front... I'm just here to tell a story. I'm not going to tell... I'm not going to go super into detail. I probably don't have this shit accurate. The information's probably not right. You should probably go listen to someone else if you want to know the actual details. Mm -hmm. If you don't want the victims vilified. But... Here we are. There's so. there's positive outlook. There's positive outlooks for any form of entertaining uh, aspect on this too. Is the whole thing? If someone does that, then de- declares it as this is purely entertainment because we're going to talk about gross, weird, horrible things that have happened to humanity, and yeah. we're going to go ew about them. Yeah. Well, that's how you get other people interested in the valid parts of these things. And here's a good example. Do you remember that show, A Thousand Ways to Die? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that was a somewhat accurate show they would take things that really happen to real people in real life they would tell the story they would completely change the names dates times locations mm-hmm. and if you're not going to be 100 percent accurate or or you're not even planning to talk about two victims or their families that's a great way to do your entertainment show yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you're just talking. Definitely a way to do it. Yeah, sure. yeah. You're talking yeah. about the thing rather than the impact, yes. which is fine. Yeah. Then, because then you're not yeah. you're not doing the thing that's horrible, which is technically making light of the impact. Yes. Yeah. In that same kind of boat, I am in a lot of true crime groups, like on Facebook and stuff, and there are some people in there that. Oh, I'm looking for a new hobby. I think I'm going to start a true crime podcast. (sighs) Okay. Maybe a self-help podcast is more up your alley. Because most podcasters who are in the true crime genre will tell you, this one is not a hobby. This one is probably a full-time job that you have to work on top of your other full-time job. I mean, if you want to do it right, if you want to make sure that you have victim advocacy, that you're telling the story correctly, you have a lot of research to do. You have a lot of people to talk to. um, You have a lot of preparation for just one simple episode that you have to do. And then not to mention the recording and the editing Mm -hmm. and getting it up and then promoting it and all of that stuff. Um, I would not consider a true crime podcast a hobby. And if I feel like if you label it that, you're already putting yourself in the entertainment bracket, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If well, you don't like a lot of homework, this is probably not for you. Yeah, it's not like, for you. From what I've seen you do on your show, it's literally like a whole ass college course, multiple yeah. college courses. Yeah. You know, you do speaking business, of, networking. Speaking of college courses. I just think of this and I think of, I think a lot of times true crime like we all know is sensationalized in movies Mm -hmm. and television. And really, you know, there's a saying that says reality is much darker and much scarier. And that's true. And this is something that I think knowledge about these things and knowledge about is brings safety, brings prevention, Mm -hmm. brings Mm -hmm. advocacy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's something you really have to think about. If it's something you want to start would because this is not something that you can do and then just go to sleep. Yeah. Like, it's very heavy. Yes. It's heavy. It haunts you. It it goes with you everywhere. And so you really have to almost become, and I hate to say this word, but it's true. You have to become almost flat to it. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean you do not have empathy. That does not mean you do not care about the victims. You very much so, I mean, I do so much and it's just you become where you that's the way you so you can deal with it so you can yeah. you know be able to do different cases if you weren't able to take that in and compartmentalize it mm-hmm. you wouldn't it, it would eat you alive yeah oh it makes complete yeah. sense sister yeah entirely i mean this is like a room full of first responders. So. <laughs> Compartmentalizing experts. Yeah. Uh, I actually spent a whole semester in my degree researching that very concept in art and the sensationalization of abstract violence. The idea that people get to a point in their entertainment that they feel that they are immune or that they've become um, desensitized to things. And like, oh, yeah, or people who can laugh at a horror movie without getting scared think that, oh, this is, you know, just that, like whatever, until they're faced with the reality Mm -hmm. and the worst case scenario is that they don't take it seriously because of that. They're falsely desensitized to something 
until they witness it for for realsies. <laughs> you have to be desensitized in a like you're saying, not just I, this is fine. It's not going to bother me at all. Yeah, that's it, not what I meant by you, that. You have to be I able to. Like, yeah. You can't truly be desensitized to something because there's a, it's always exactly. the way my therapist once told me. Um, whenever you see something like that, it may not immediate. You may just be really good at dealing with it, the stress in the moment, mm-hmm. but you don't go back and you don't allow your brain to process that. You leave these little windows open in your mind, yes. and it'll yeah. um, manifest in certain ways. This is yeah. anger. This is really weird. I just out. covered this with my therapist yeah. Like yeah. about two weeks ago. Okay. Well, trauma responses. Oh, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. And that's why I use the word flat, because I think yeah. in that instance, you still have it there, but you know you're compartmentalizing it's it. Like it's like the calm before the storm, except the storm is now happening and you're still calm somehow. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, and then you process the storm's damage later. And that's, yes. a, that's a fight or flight <laughs> training mechanism that yeah. our bodies have. And oh, yeah. once we get accustomed to something and we see it and we are, you know, and I don't mean just see it on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, go and research a case, go to where it happened. You see someone that's deceased mm-hmm. for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, go and meet with victims, families or the victim. Right. Then once you do that over and over, you do become where you kind of know how to compartmentalize mm-hmm. it. And so you can go on that our fight or flight police officers. How could they do their job mm-hmm. every single day yeah. if they didn't have that compartmentalization? Absolutely. And I want to also bring up the fact that something you just said, if you don't want interaction with victims, families, or friends, this is not the genre for you. Exactly. Because it is required. Period. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that you can do on this, my personal opinion, is to dehumanize probably the most human yeah. subject matter. Yeah. Get yourself a nice, find your niche to be flat and, and approach things to where you can compartmentalize healthily, mm-hmm. but never, ever, ever dehumanize the subject matter that both victim and killer never dehumanize those things they do say humor is a good coping mechanism but there's a time and place for that well yeah i mean we all laugh we laugh on the show we may we cut we cut up on things we're never poking fun though at the criminals and victims on what you just said um bringing humor to a true crime show there it i feel like ever it should be precisely placed yes in your show tastefully done tastefully done it should never shame the victim Mm -hmm. um it should never make fun of victims friends or family or the victim themselves Mm -hmm. uh and it should never be done with a slideshow of the victim behind you while you're making off-color jokes in front of them on some stage we'll get to that later (laughs) we'll get get to that but my biggest thing is is that if you're i don't feel like you should call yourself a comedian in true crime and there are a lot of very large podcasts that have true crime comedian hosts there should never that should not be a thing yeah No. no no This isn't it shouldn't your, be this thing. isn't your nine to five radio program, no. people. It's no. like you're talking sir. about real people, real life tragedies, yeah. real things that happen to them. Do Shatters not generation. It Do does. not de- These are people yes. that have been. I mean, and I hate to be so, but these are people that have been murdered, have yeah. been raped, have been traumatized. Yes, and and they. You just imagine if you were a victim, or you'd went some through something similar, or you were a. 
a victim's family member and you're listening to Mm -hmm. these podcasts, you don't want to re-traumatize someone. Well, and just what you said, uh, Simon, on the make sure that you remember that even the person who's perpetrating these crimes, they are human as well. Mm -hmm. They may have done some horrific things, but they left behind a family. Yes, they did. They left behind friends. Not even just that, too. Dehumanization of a criminal is the worst thing mm-hmm. you can do because that gives more credence to the deification of their oh, mythos. Yeah. It's that better ex- just yeah, to forget yeah. them. That yeah. expands that cult of personality around, ooh, the wickedest man on the world. It's like, at, no, at he most, was a sick individual who murdered want. people with and a yeah. screwdriver. They yeah. want that. They want that recognition and that exactly. Yeah, and culture. Then, you are feeding the ego that took most, another human life. What they're good for, I, I believe, is just research to figure out yeah. why they could have been capable of such a well, thing. Well, and I think if it's so, in particular, you know, which you're going to see on an upcoming episode um, with the Ether Man, if it's your story and you want to, you want to, you know, make light of your interaction with the offender, then that's your story. I think that's a trauma response, though. That's so. a trauma response. But that's, that's your story. But it's, yeah. it's a coping mechanism. And that's yes. a coping. But that's, that's different. That's when it's acceptable. Than someone yeah. telling your story. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why, um, for the past three years, and probably for to come, we have stayed away from the big cases like Ted Bundy and Ed Kemper and Jeffrey Dahmer. It's so hard We've, to get around that cult. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's about them. Yes. Yeah. And it's hard. It's really hard to not make it about them because everyone else has already made it about them. It's so hard to get information on the victims themselves. And so, you know, we just kind of stay away from it and try to focus on if I don't have enough information on a victim that we're going to talk about, I, I put it back. I'm like, well, when I get more information, maybe we'll do this story. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're here to tell, we are here to be the voice of the people who no longer have a voice. Mm-hmm. And every single true crime podcast out there should be doing the exact same thing. Um, unless you, like you said, say, hey, this is just for funsies. We want you to know it's for funsies. We're going to change names and whatever. And mm-hmm. it's just going to be a lighthearted whatever. And there are some like that mm-hmm. that there, actually yeah. say that. There's, and, no, yeah. there's nothing wrong with and that no, approach. There's nothing wrong with it. If yeah. you want something to listen to, like you watch, there's certain. Okay, so Lifetime is a mm-hmm. network is one. Sometimes they'll do, you know, real cases. And then sometimes they'll just do these cases that are have no validity but they'll do them and they're kind of sensationalized sensationalized and i mean i think they all kind of are but yeah. there's some that they do that are not as um so you you kind of look at the two contrasts there mm-hmm. and you know that's kind of how this is i mean there's nothing wrong with watching that if mm-hmm. that's what you know that you're watching exactly exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. um and i think that at least in true crime, there's a fine line that not a pe- not a lot of people know that they're about to cross. I think that sometimes they think they're going to be in, in it for one thing and they realize that nothing in that was accurate. And now everything in their brain that they were trying to learn is inaccuracy. And so as long as you know what you're, you're doing, you know what you're getting into, and you know how to tell your listeners, or as a listener, you know how to listen for those um, marks of this is what this is, you'll be fine. You know, I hate to reference this because it's so, 
it's so damn old at this point. But it's funny how, weirdly enough, back in the day, the old police drama, Dragnet, covered this <laughs> perfectly. Every episode always opened up with the the events in this in that are based upon actual criminal investigations. Yeah. The names, dates, places, and specific events have been altered for the purpose of drama. That's Law and Order as well. Yeah, the old yeah. that's every episode of the old yeah. Law and Order used yeah. to start that way yeah. to set mm-hmm. the mood of. You, you know you're about to watch a dramatization. Yes. But a lot of this the, might not be true, but we changed it. The underlying impact of what happens here is actually happened to somebody. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and I think as long as there's some disclaimers that go into that, mm-hmm. then that's fine. You're already a step in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are some out there that I feel like maybe they don't realize that that's what they're doing. Uh, they don't I realize agree. that yeah. they're in in the entertainment industry instead of the the crime prevention, the crime advocacy. advocacy. Yeah, uh, well, and, I'm more cynical than you. I'm pretty sure there's well, plenty of them out there who know it, who are doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, yeah. there. I absolutely agree with you there because too. It's a hot topic. They yes. know people will yep. people will listen to it, mm-hmm. and they can easily just squeak into the entertainment. Yeah, you're not wrong on that one either. It's really gross. Yeah, and um, I think uh, at least most of us here have now, up to this point, met enough to know that there's absolutely all those types out there. Oh, yeah. I kind of went into this thinking when I started this podcast that everyone wanted to do what I did, the way that I present the show, the way that I advocate, the way that I tell the story, um, how accurate I like to be, and if I don't know, I will go find out. And if I can't find it on the internet, and and I or I do find it on the internet, I would double check with whatever expert I can find. In truth, it's the only reason that I agreed to sit. In here. <laughs> but I mean, I f- I think I felt like everyone in in true crime pos- podcasting did that when I started. I did too. And along Just the listen. way, yeah, along the way, we have figured out that there are definitely two types of true crime podcasters. Those who are in it for money and entertainment and those of us who are in it for the the victims and the and the stories. So, we were talking about joking and a lot of us, especially first responders, um, people who work in these heavy fields, we have some dark humor. Oh yeah. <laughs> like some very dark humor but we also know when that is appropriate and when it's not appropriate Mm -hmm. as i was saying there are a lot of very large podcasts now i would say our podcast is about a medium medium medium-sized podcast um there are large podcasts and there and there are huge podcasts and we have huge podcasts out there who are making jokes and i legit was it you that i was telling um I saw one. It was me. We were talking about this yeah. the other day. I saw. I had a little vomit in my mouth afterwards. Yeah, this I, was gross. So it was a live show. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a live show. And they were standing in front of the picture of this murder victim. And they were making a bunch of offbeat jokes. And they were literally making fun of. This was a woman from the 70s. They were standing in front of literally making fun of what she was wearing. And almost like in a, well, I guess she asked for it sort of way. That is literally the worst thing that you can do. Victim shaming is really prevalent among those type of podcasts. And I feel like it's constantly, we're constantly butting heads 
with victim advocacy and victim shaming. Yeah. Like, there's those two sides of it. I don't think they understand. I mean, that's just kind of what I get out of it. Because I feel like if you understood, you would know that there's a difference between victim shaming and victim victim advocacy but in a way that you give them preventions in a way that is educational as far as you know watch where you walk alone at night Mm -hmm. you know when you're um college going to certain parties Mm -hmm. having your drink out i think i know what you're saying like yes yeah the idea is like you prevention rather than just saying you were gonna get it because at the end of the day learning from a tragedy well that's the thing that also is so gross in these things is like are you implying are you like trying to celebrate that you're saying these people deserved this well yeah and i mean there's a difference in looking at a picture of of a victim and saying oh well she was walking down the road alone in front of this bar and this is what she was wearing what did she think was going to happen versus she probably still didn't think she was going to get murdered yeah no versus um you know, yes, she is alone. Yes, she is in front of a bar. And yes, we should probably always have someone with us, not because it's our fault, but because men do horrible things. Okay. It shouldn't have to be that way, it but shouldn't that's have the to. world we exactly. live in. Exactly. And it's just because you could be wearing nothing and walking down the street and it still doesn't yeah. make it your fault. No. Right. It's never someone's fault for someone else to do evil acts against them. Period. Ever. Period. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's the point. That's the problem in this case. Is like, it's one thing to take a lighthearted mind to try to gain people's trust and understanding of a topic. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to take a lighthearted view of a very not lighthearted topic. Yes, yeah. So I also wanted to bring up, you know, to maintain credibility in your storytelling. Um, if you have to change details... If you have to change names, especially if they're children and you're changing the children's names or ages or whatever, um, I would also suggest whatever changes you make, you need to be forward with your listeners about that and tell them we've changed names, we've changed dates, we've changed stuff like that to protect the victim. Precisely. Um, Because then you still keep your credibility uh, with your information, but you're also... Yes, you're also protecting those victims Mm -hmm. as well. So you're also putting it in people's minds the value of that human being. Yeah. It's like this person still deserves to be protected from this. It's regardless of the crime being resolved and the person being in Mm -hmm. jail, uh, you still need to protect people from this. That's just a nice way to help protect the victims when you talk about them on your show, especially the younger ones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to throw that little part out there. I think that's important. And now there are some, as far as like Amber Hagerman and Amber Alert, things like that, that have caused new laws and statues, federal and state statues that, yes, a lot of times the names do not get changed because that has Yes. That is the whole purpose of exactly the advocacy and the new statues well, and yeah. laws. Miranda, but, Miranda rights. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's also, you know, that is known. The family knows that, you know, 
they knew they knew all this was put in place. So this yeah. is that's not something mm-hmm. that you just go, oh, I'm not going to do it. These are things that are already established. So those are already known. Those are not going to change. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I want to segue from that into research. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of research that goes into a true crime podcast. If you're not researching, you're not doing right. Period. It's 100% more than just a Google search. Yes. Um, You need to be going to places, speaking to people, getting court documents. You need to be getting everything that you can to tell the story as accurately as possible. Okay, so there is another medium-sized podcast. Uh, They have a researcher. Now, I understand having a paid researcher. If you are a huge podcast and you are putting out a show every single night and you have a million listeners every single time you drop an episode they're listening live and there's a million of them okay but you at least need to be reading that research before you record your episode uh yeah um (laughs) if i have anything to say about it i want you to do your own research every single time because i feel like when you do your own research you are getting to know these people personally they're more than just a story you're telling now you can really hear it when someone's done their research on topic um you you can hear it in their voice the passion for the victim and advocating for this victim because when you learn so much about not just what happened to them but what kind of person they were before Mm -hmm. you know their interests what they wanted to be when they grew up Mm -hmm. you just really develop this kind of attachment to these people and i think you can really hear that in the quality of the recording. And that is why on this show, everyone who presents a case has done that research. They're the ones who have done the research for it. Because I'm not going to sit here and write up something that you're just going to read off of as a script. You have no connection to those people now. And we really need to translate that passion for these people in our storytelling. You also specify whenever it is just a uh, a candid introduction Mm -hmm. for somebody on your show. It's like, I've done a couple of those with you now where it's information that, no, I've never heard of this before. Let's see what we got. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. (laughs) Yes, but there's a difference in having someone there for you to tell this story to. Right. Mm -hmm. And that the person who is presenting that story has not done that. And hasn't done the yeah. research that's true uh you cannot do the research for someone else and and expect them to be as invested as you are when you have done the research mm-hmm. very recently let's just say i went to a seminar we'll say i went to a seminar <laughs> is this what they call it throwing shade yeah shady. Yep. <laughs> where i listened to them do what should have been called a case study Uh, about a case that is one of my heart cases, a case that I researched for over a year, almost a year and a half, before I even attempted to do the episodes on them. Um, I am extremely connected to one of the people in this story, the perpetrator of the crime, actually. And we did not hear any of that passion i feel like that was it was written up real quick so that we could do a real quick seminar over it so that we could um get to the juicy bits and i feel like the biggest part surrounding this entire case was completely skipped over um the part that personalizes these two people as a matter of fact was completely and utterly skipped over and disregarded 
you can tell, again, like what you just said, Jean, you can tell when someone doesn't know this case that maybe it was just a, a quick draw up, oh, let's get a quick case up, and is not invested in it the way that you are. So if you want your listeners to be invested, which I always want you to be invested, we're telling human stories. You know, these are human interest pieces, really. I really feel like you need to know and are invested in what you're talking about. If it is something that you literally can't handle, because there are some of those, like, I'm not very good with children stuff. And if, so, of course, I was like, Mandy, you're going to have to do Darlie Routier. <laughs> I really want to cover it. <laughs> I really want to cover it, but I literally can't handle it. It's your discretion. You need to have good discretion when you pick a case, when you research the case, when you choose who's doing the case, and so on and so forth. Anyway. I think that in the research, I always go back to every time I do research on a case, unless it's just halfway across the country I go there yeah I want to go see at least where someone lived where and I'm not saying disturbing who lives there now yeah. or you know where this is very no one but you want to walk the walk I you do. want to walk in their shoes for a minute see what they saw when they walked out their front door well, because I'll tell you 90 nine percent of the time it does not look like what you see on yeah. tv and it does not look like what you hear it is usually completely different and when you see it you can it actually changes my perspective every yes. time yeah and you think one thing and then you're like oh wait a minute maybe this could have happened this way well i mean that's just like the um prisma reyes case yes so mm-hmm. we when we were down in dallas we went by um, there was a bar that she was last seen at and then a apartment complex she was last seen at. I did not know those were so close together. It was like two blocks from Walking each other. distance close. Walking distance. And it completely changed my perspective of what happened in the interactions between those two places and how long it took her to get there. Like, and like, it was like a whole new eye-opening thing for me. I don't think you have to go on the main road. No. Yeah. It was just like a little back. We went the back way. Yeah. We went around the back of it and then straight over to this apartment complex. And I'm going, it is so close. Like, how did how did any of this? But anyway, yes, I would say it absolutely change your, changes your perspective in the way of you're standing where they were standing. Mm-hmm. You are seeing the things that they saw. Now, granted, it may be a case that's from the 70s. Some things may have changed. Yes. Um, But, I mean, just like the Candy Montgomery house that we went and visited. Nice looking neighborhood, unassuming. Yes. That threw me off. Yes. It's just just to show that these kind of things can happen anywhere. Anywhere. And it just offers this perspective. Yes. Yes. And you, you know, you see movie was great. I'm not even going to the documentary. Well, it wasn't really a documentary. It was a trilogy. I don't know how you would even. Dramatization. Dramatization with. Oh, the the show. A limited series. Yeah. On Hulu. I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, I did. I think Jessica Biel was amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, but the. Just to let you know, the house looks nothing. No, it's not even set up the the same way. I think the porch is... The porch is very similar. But but I think it was because the porch has been so um, immortalized in the newspapers, that front porch. Like, I think they had to kind of get that right. But the inside of it is not even set up the same. No. It is way smaller. Mm -hmm. I know. And that's why I say, you know, when you do your research, you know, it's important that you don't just see a case and you're like oh and then we're just gonna tell the story and we don't know anything about it we're gonna pull it all off of google or wikipedia yes (laughs) and you have to 
like go there talk with you have to do this research because i will tell you if you go by that house it might change your thoughts <laughs> yeah. from the story because yeah. it mm-hmm. really does make a difference um sometimes on distance mm-hmm. on time mm-hmm. you know that there's a capabilities of people mm-hmm. of people that watch people you can mm-hmm. see where there would be places for people to watch people yeah. not in this story but i'm just saying that yeah. you wouldn't be necessarily if you just see it on tv yeah so that's why a lot of times you know re- there's more to research than just looking something up absolutely mm-hmm. no that's a, that's an excellent point that's yeah. kind of the thing i was talking about with integrity in this case mm-hmm. because it, you have to look at the aspects of one of the things a lot of people forget is environment plays a hell of a big deal on people and the reason why a crime was perpetrated. Not just oh there's plenty of dark alleys to go kill someone in or there's loads of land to bury a body on. A person in their situation was living in a very tiny area in a very Mm -hmm. tiny house Yes, in something that was that's a different mindset than a larger place. And you say that and it makes me think you know just like you're saying when safety like i don't mean safety of the victim i mean safety of the perpetrator exactly because yeah. they're like this area i know i know this house i know this i know that see no the neighbors. one expects anything yes in well this it was like you were saying about the um alleyway behind um the darley routier home mm-hmm. that we went and saw as well yes. you were like i did not expect it to look like that no and that's it's like kind of a large part of course we're gonna we're gonna do the darley case in season four but it, that alleyway is kind of a large part of that story yes and so like that whole that kind of just changed your perspective right then well it did and it's i knew the alley was there Mm -hmm. and i had been by there years ago Mm -hmm. but that was in i wasn't researching the case Mm -hmm. and i wasn't paying attention to details and so i was going to visit someone that lived nearby and so i think when you're really going and paying attention to those details it makes a big difference Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know little things that are in the case that get someone convicted or not Mm-hmm. could be a difference of a something that was laying in the yard and whether it was big enough to lay close to the you know if the yard was big or right. small Absolutely. and that makes a difference yeah so. mm-hmm. yeah and i want to um say our little scarlet is going to be taking her first uh true crime trip oh for Ooh. season four she is going to be going down somewhere in texas uh she came to me with a case and i have it written down somewhere but um it's a case that involves a park somewhere down there in texas where someone was murdered and um the local like high school kids just kind of took it as like a sightseeing kind of thing so they never told anyone the body was there they would just go like hey you want to go see the body like for like a month they were going into this park wherever this body was and like just checking this body out wow so anyway, uh. Scarlet is <laughs> Scarlet is going to be going down there. Kids are the worst. <laughs> and um kind of walking through this park and, and seeing that this is her whole case. So And that is a big cool. part of research. Research yeah. is so much more like you said than mm-hmm. just reading up on on the internet. Yeah. Um I, I I my personal philosophy is that when you go to these places as a part of your research it should have a certain impact yeah. on your life and your emotions and you should yeah. be left walking away wondering how am I going to tell this story? That's a great yeah. point. Absolutely. That's an incredible Absolutely. point. And with that said, this I, I want to add this little disclaimer in. That is not something we're telling you. 
go do that and go to all these places and yeah. go put yourself in danger. No. I mean, no. Please don't do that. Yes, yeah, please don't do that. I mean, we've had a lot of experience. A lot of experience, <laughs> a lot of safety training. procedures and training that we've put in we place. We're with our battle yeah. buddies the entire yes. time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not something that... We had four of us with us the should, last yes, time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Make sure every, someone knows where you're going to be. Yeah. I mean, best case scenario, you're with somebody. Yeah. You know? And she's not going alone, so don't worry about Scarlett. She's got a whole little pal group down there that she's going to be with, and so she'll be she'll be fine. I hope. As someone fine. who literally <laughs> does not go to places like that by themselves, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you right now, the only time that I can be as big as my voice is, is when other people are around me. <laughs> That's it. After that, everything's fine. But by myself, no. I have the firm philosophy of this is where I die. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, for, yeah. and for those who are listening who actually don't feel comfortable um, having that experience and that connection to a crime, I would kind of compare it to I mean, the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. You can read about it all day long. Yeah. But you go to that memorial in Oklahoma it City, hits it hits different. It really does. On our way home from Dallas, we stopped by the Amber Hagerman Memorial. And I was like, I couldn't even say anything for like 15 minutes. They were like, I think she's... There's something wrong with her. <laughs> I missed that with you guys. Um, well, it's because the Amber Hagerman Memorial is just off this side of this parking lot. It, and there was this truck, this um, 18-wheeler that was unloading things. I mean, right next to it. Right next to it. And there's just all this trash and stuff near it. And I'm just like, this is where this baby's memorial is. Like, I was just so frustrated with it whole, when we left there. It really does give you a whole new perspective every time you go to each one of these different places so and it's it's and it's it can be very sad yeah and it can be very haunting i think i know we've used that word but Mm -hmm. it can really haunt you for quite a while there are ones that give off a whole different feel Mm -hmm. than others um i felt despair when i was at amber hagerman's memorial i felt oddly enough like this weird terror when we were at the Darley Routier house. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to second that motion. <laughs> I, I'm this the you. one with the window. Yes. I'm pretty sure we saw a ghost in the window. It's <laughs> it, believe it or not. There's just a certain feeling that uh, that episode get. is coming up in the future. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It does have, it, it evoked particular feelings. I'm not like the biggest believer of that kind of thing, but when I was there, it, there's like a lingering feeling yes, of, in a certain of places bad, like that. Of something bad. Yes. It was almost like the same that you would feel if you're standing from front of the Amityville house. It was that yes. chilling. You knew it was yes. something chilling. horrible you know, there, happened yeah. There's there. absolutely no report of anyone going to the Amityville house without experiencing something. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Even when we went to um, the Freeman home yes. where it had burned down, that was just almost like this serene because you're in the middle of nowhere so it's like so serene but also fearful 
and also sad. Like haunting. Yes, haunting. Like there's well, just it taunted me, I think, a little bit. Yeah. It was almost like it was talking to me mm-hmm. in a way. I mean, all of these different places have all of these different feelings and when you can you weren't with us when we went by the eyeball killer's house. No. Um, that one was that was creepy because it was I like, saw the pictures though. It was kind of a bad part of town. Like it wasn't the best part of town and the house wasn't it was just very creepy to know. Like so there's a different feeling which each with each one of these places that I think is integral. If you can get there and do that and experience that in your research, especially if you're gonna be talking about it on a podcast, you really need to do that. If you're going to be judging a killer, you should know more about yes. them yes. than just their myth. Yeah. Yes. Well, and not only that, but that road in front of that is where his first victim got away. And so I wanted to see how far she had to run. Yes. And, you know, where where else she could have turned to. And so, you know, it's just things like that that give you the little details in your storytelling, you know, that gives you like a one up on just be safe. podcasts. Yeah. Buddy system yeah. is the best system. Yes. <laughs> and I also want to Make sure that we throw out here, at least we are, and you should be, as a true crime podcaster, are here not to just tell a story, but to teach. We're here to advocate, but we're also here to prevent. We're here to teach. And so every single episode that you do should reflect that in some way, whether it is giving resources at the end of your episode, um, whether it is giving even if it's one or two, you know, safety tips along the way, every single episode you should be teaching your listeners something because that's what separates it from entertainment to educational. You Agreed. Know? Yeah. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and you might not get everything 100% right. No one is ever going to get everything 100% right, but you should at least be willing to do it to the best of your ability And if you don't get it right and you're called out, be willing to address that and correct it Mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Accept criticism and build from there. Yes, exactly. That's just like, okay, so I wanted to bring this up because when I did the Prisma case, I did that case, I think it was 2019 or maybe early 2020. And I had not talked to, I had reached out, but had not talked to any of the family yet. Prisma's case has been in a lot of big shows, big documentaries, but I had not talked to any of the family members. And so Prisma's stepdad, Dan, actually had reached out and said, I'd really like to talk to you. I want to do an interview. I said, that's great. I'll, I'll correct whatever I need to. I'll throw it on. I'll completely remaster the episode. And that's what I ended up doing because when I talked to Dan, he was like, listen, her case has in a way been sensationalized because it has been compared a lot to um, the Cecil Hotel. Yes. In which a woman gets into an elevator and disappears and is never heard from again. It automatically reminds you of that almost instantly. Yes. And so in these big documentaries there's been a lot of things that's been sensationalized and a lot of facts that are not correct and so I just sat down with him and let him tell me exactly what needed to be changed and I went and changed it immediately this is what we're here for when we learn better we do better Mm -hmm. period and updating your episodes is very important as well this is another thing that people don't think about when they get into this business because 
there are always updates in the case with the mm-hmm. McGirt thing. Mm-hmm. So many things were thrown out. There were so many cases that I had to go back in and update several times. And that, I mean, it is extra work, but it is um, very important that those updates happen so that your information is always correct. Yeah. You have to constantly be looking at articles, yes. constantly be researching. It's got to almost be ingrained in you. And that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But if it's something you're passionate about and something that really take time to read it, but then compare sources. That's my big thing. Mm-hmm. I always tell my students, read whatever you want. Yes. But make sure that you compare it with an empirical peer-reviewed source. I love that you bring that up because there have been several times, and I, I'm sure other True Crime podcasters have come across this, where you find multiple articles that have conflicting information. Yes. Mm-hmm. When that happens, if you can't go straight to the source, um, a, a victim family or whatever, if you can't do that to verify that information, it is very important that you say with your mouth that I found two articles, they have conflicting information, here's what both of them say, and then we're moving on. It's very important that you are transparent with your information and always cite your sources. You do not have to cite your sources in your episodes. I know that that can get very long-winded, especially if you're doing your research correctly. But if you I have a do. if you but if you have a website, um, I put all of our sources on our website, and you can feel free to cite your source, especially if you're talking about like a documentary. You can say, okay, well, it was this documentary, whatever. It's a habit. But you know, like articles, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, this was an article from 1972 from the Daily Oklahoma. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to put all of that on the website. If you want to know my sources, they're all, they're right there, raring to go. You can see them literally at any time. You know, when you're, when you're in the master's program and that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You, Every question asked of you is expecting that after source. your answer. Yes. yes. I mean, that literally, if you don't have your sources, you might as well just write a big F <laughs> on your paper. You're yeah. done. So <laughs> pretty much. Um, so I want to hop back to ethics real quick and, and this is going to be where I probably rage a bit. Um, live shows in true crime podcasting versus panels versus a case study versus a round table versus a seminar versus a true crime tour. Now we were just talking about true crime tours. Um, we obviously think those are very important and I think that... That is a very good way. Now, we're talking now about making money in the podcast industry. Um, I think that would be a very good way for a podcast to have income. If you wanted to do like local true crime tours or something like that, as long as you're going on like a more of a historical route with it, um, something that like a museum would do. Uh, you know, here historical society. Yes, a historical and not society. Just like yes, a graveyard tour. And yes, yes. Yeah. exactly. Then I think there's nothing wrong with that. And if you look over that lamppost, <laughs> at one point there was a person missing their skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lunch will be served on the mezzanine. <laughs> Live shows has kind of been a problem for me ethically, and there are two different kinds of live shows. The first kind of live show is exactly what we're doing right now, but live. 
And a lot of podcasters like to go live from events that they attend. It's just something nice that they want to include the people at home. It's part of the field. It's part of the field. And a lot of times you don't get paid for those live shows. And that's totally fine. I think that's totally fine. Um, But the other ones that I'm talking about are the ones who are selling out theater tickets or making people pay to come see you at a place. Oh no, Mandy, don't 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 call that. Put your reaction out there. <laughs> Bam! Because it's a shared reaction. I can guarantee you. I feel like there's a way that you can do a live show without doing a full case, because I feel like you shouldn't be making money off of uh, someone's demise. And when you fill a theater up and you're going to talk about a case, full length case. You run into, number one, what what if something accidentally comes out of your mouth? Um, but number two, you're literally speaking about a human being and you have made hundreds or thousands of dollars off of their death. Yes. Just now in that moment. That's when you should turn around and give that money to the exactly. family. To the family, to no. a charity, to some yes. kind of institution no. tied to this. Thank you very much for bringing that up because if you do a case study like that, if your live show is a, is a case, a full-length case, and at the end you don't, uh, donate every single one of those, say you're talking about the Freeman Bible case. And I think the family should be aware. And you donate every mm-hmm. single cent that you make to one of their funds, great, perfect. But when you're getting up there and you're talking about someone's demise and there are people drunk in front of you because you've booked yourself at a bar or you've booked yourself at a theater and they're getting out of hand and there's a bunch of nonsense. And actually, I've heard a bunch of stuff from attendees who have gone to very large podcasts, um, live shows where they literally said they couldn't enjoy themselves because there were too many drunks. There were too many people Ugh. that just getting out of hand. And you're talking about someone's dead grandma or, or dead sister or something like that? Absolutely not. Like, you shouldn't be making money off of that. That that place shouldn't be making money off of those, that alcohol sale. Like the only The only thing I could justify in that is if the money you made covered your cost to put it. And, that's, and then you donate the rest yeah, to some sort of... Yeah, and then you donate of, the rest yes. in that case. Even if it's to something small, like a local advocacy yes. group, or even just like a local like a local investigations group or a police as, uh, police charity yeah, or something. As long as you're not making a profit off exactly. of it, then fine. If you want to do, and this is how Mandy and I have kind of decided if we do live shows, this is how we're going to set it up. Talk about some sort of topic like domestic violence or just straight victim advocacy or um, stalking or sexual violence on sexual violence or or trafficking or whatever it is that you want to talk about Um, but make it a topic and then you can bring in those cases that were game changers like for instance the one from California that changed the stalking laws Rebecca Schaefer or yes Mm -hmm. or um, or if you're talking about the Amber Alert you can bring up the Amber uh, Hagerman case. Those cases that you can actually use their names yes. and they've actually yes. changed statutes They and have laws. changed the law and it's important to know why. Yes. Then yes, absolutely. I also would condone true crime trivia, which is another thing that we've talked about doing. Uh, if you're going to do something at a bar or something like that, 
I really don't think it should be a show show. It probably should just be something like true yeah. crime trivia hosting or something Not like that. Not for about victims, but about yes, true crime itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. about true crime itself. How yeah. did it get started? You know, yeah. when did the laws change? What are the, you know. Yeah, this, you know, some sort of, of trivia or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to like panels and seminars, roundtables, um, stuff like that, where you're going to speak at an event. Now, I understand honorariums, and that's fine. Um, but make sure that what you're speaking about has merit, that you're not bringing just some sensationalized BS, that you're actually offering something, you're teaching something, because that's what that should be for. Or even showing someone's view from, you know, victim view or something like that. Other than that, I haven't figured out a way other than merch, sponsorship, stuff like that to make money ethically. More than likely, you'll find me um, maybe someday in a bus. <laughs> Jean and I have talked about <laughs> a prison getting, bus. getting a prison bus and, and taking people around to tours. do true crime tours. She's had that experience we were talking about. Yeah, that's perspective. Awesome. Yeah, I know that's kind of cool. Purely yeah. for perspective and yeah. advocacy. Well, and it's a much there's much older cases around here. Like we have the Tulsa Northside killer that was like the 40s and stuff like that. Well, the so Osage. It's, yeah, and it's it's very historical. Like I said, it would be very historically based. But yeah, that's probably in the Nanny Doss. She was caught here. Yeah, right? yeah, in Tulsa. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, when they came through here. Yeah, Jesse James. Lots of. So you're probably not going to find us, you know, out selling out theaters, trying to get your money to tell you about a case that I can tell you about right here with way more passion than, you know, being on a stage and the lights hitting me in the face and (laughs) a bunch of drunk people throwing stuff in. even focused (laughs) to tell an accurate story? I would definitely not be there, so I would disappear somewhere napping. This brings us down to professionalism unless anyone else has any sort of ethics we need to juggle here um don't be an asshole (laughs) that and i just kind of wanted to close the ethics with uh, a personal kind of input okay i think the the reason we feel so strongly about victim advocacy and uh, professionalism and generally just being respectful of the nature of the things that we were discussing is because a lot of us have either been victims of certain crimes Mm -hmm. or have known actual family members who have been victims of crimes. Mm -hmm. So we know what it's like to be, to feel hopeless or helpless when justice is served. Yes. Um, We, I'm glad that you brought that up because we understand the sensationalism of this. We are actually going to talk about this in the Cousins Club episode we have in season four, where Gene and I and Rick and um, Bill sit down to talk about all of us have lost a cousin to murder. And the fact that one, and Gene has actually lost two, um, but one of those cousins was literally sensationalized in a documentary. What was it called? I almost got away with it. I almost got away with it. Told purely from the perspective of the uh, perpetrator. Yeah. Well, he's sitting there not in cuffs. Yep. He's giggling, laughing about mm-hmm. the things that he's done. I totally mean, dehumanizing it, someone's family member. Yes. I mean, no, they did not ask any of her family at all. 
about any of this. There was no interviews with the victims. There were no interviews with the, the family. It was just his side of the story. Well, his family was there. Oh, yeah. yeah. How can you ethically... You can't is the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's well, purely... It's completely unethical. The Hollywood versions of some of the podcasts yeah. that we're and, talking and about And that's here. why we're sitting here talking about this. We know that there are documentaries out there that are sensationalized. We know that there are, um, you know, TVs and stories and stuff like this out there that don't tell exactly how it went, don't care about talking to victims' families. We know that. We know that better than most because we've dealt with it. And it's really important for you guys to know that we're on both sides of it. I mean, I'm a sexual assault survivor. Mm -hmm. Like, we are here for the victims and this is why. Because we are the victims. One thing I like to think about is I think everyone, no matter who you are in this world, you are not immune from some sort of victimization at some point. It, yes. Whether it was you, mm-hmm. someone you know, someone on your street, someone that you just happen to come across as you're driving and you see it, and that does happen. Every single person in this world has experienced something or yes. knows someone that's experienced yes. something. Yes. So with that said, you would want to be sensitive to that and realize and think about those things when you talk about Mm -hmm. cases because you have to think about what your loved one went through or what you went through you know we're going to find out I'm an ether man, mm-hmm. but I've had a personal experience with him. Mm-hmm. And a serial rapist, BT Dubs. Wow. Yeah. Yes, wow. and then I've known a, a murderer that they, in which we did an episode, I think, in season mm-hmm. we season uh, the end of season two. two, I think, yeah. And I knew him, the Joe Joseph Seer oh, case. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay, about her, the victim, because of what she did for her lifestyle. Right, right. Instead about the fact that... Oh, man. She and Simon went down a rabbit hole with talking about this a couple of days ago. Yes. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's... In, and I'm sitting there and I'm I'm swat- looking at comments. Because you have to remember, there's comments that people put on these things on the internet. Mm. If anything goes on Facebook or the internet or, you know, websites, people comment. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember, people that know these people mm-hmm. read this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you can be affecting them in ways. I mean, there were so many comments I saw about him and about her, and I did not know her personally. Mm-hmm. But there were so many comments about him, and I'm like, that's not even true. Like, mm-hmm. that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be cognizant of when you tell the stories to make sure that you, if you don't know the accuracy, like you were saying, that you let people know, this yeah. is what I think. I'm not 100% yeah. positive, but this is what I think. Because you have to remember that you're, you could be re-traumatizing someone's family member or exactly. someone's, and you do not want to do that. And I Do think not. That's a thing that I've noticed a lot in a lot of the ones that I've sat in on here. One of the problems with a lot of the perspective that gets put out in these things. This links even all the way, this links back to ethics, this links back to uh, so many other problems with people doing these things, is that people still do not understand that just because someone is able to cope with the trauma of an event does not mean they're fine Mm -hmm. with it, doesn't mean that it can be just discussed and they're okay. Even if they're okay with discussing it, you still need to approach those things from the standpoint of, hey, this was horrific. That's a good point. 
I actually did a, a course. I took a course on, um, technically it was about grief and how it plays into people who have, um, missing people, uh, missing persons cases and how it affects the family. And what we discovered there was that grief. Now, you know, you have the five stages of grief. When that initial thing happens, they go through these five stages of grief and that could take however long it takes them. But what people don't realize is that from the minute that they've come to acceptance, that very last stage, literally anything can trigger a new cycle mm-hmm. of yeah. grief. Yes. Exactly. And it doesn't happen in order. Yes. Either. No. It's, it's no. the exact no. same thing. Yes. And that can happen throughout the rest of their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can happen with a missed birthday. It can happen with, you know, at Christmas time. It can happen when someone does a podcast episode mm-hmm. about their loved one. Mm-hmm. It can happen like you don't know what's going to trigger someone. And so you have to be very mindful at the fact that grief is never 100% gone. No. It can always start that cycle right back up, and you don't want to be the reason for that. When we talked about also, you know, being able to have a flatline reaction to some of these things to maintain, to compartmentalize healthily. Yes. Um, it's funny, since starting an EMS, uh, I have learned now more so uh, things that actually bother me versus things that I didn't know I, I was totally okay with being around. Um, and they are completely different from what I thought. Even going off my own thing of feeling falsely desensitized and trying to keep an open mind of you don't know if this is going to upset you and having loads of things that are very upsetting to other people that I can never talk to them about versus... It doesn't matter if it's if it's a legitimate or if it's just a cry for help or even if it's just someone too drunk. Um, I have to take a moment after every suicide call. Well, sure, yeah. It's because even the ones that, like, someone is just lashing out and because they don't know what to do and so they literally told, so, they got really drunk and told someone who cares about them that they're going to harm themselves or kill themselves so they called 911 I have to take a moment after the end of every call like that because it will automatically catapult me back to a friend of mine who took their own life every time, no matter what I think about that and I think about the fact that when you talk about being able to do these things every day, being able to teach this to my students, being able to go through all these cases and talk about the dangers, the statistics, which are scary in the world. And if you don't want a good night's sleep, look up statistic values on murder and (laughs) self-harm. And let me tell you, domestic violence statistics, they are horrific. They really are. And so even I can go about my day, I can do what I need to do, I can but there are times even when I'm at night, maybe I'm sitting there and I'm like I don't want to watch this. I don't I don't want to watch this documentary tonight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look at any more true crime tonight. So I still do self-care and and do my coping yeah. where I just turn it off because sometimes you have to. And that's so everyone does cope just because we can compartmentalize and we've yeah. learned to take that fight or flight um because it's kind of we've gotten used to it. Um it doesn't mean that we don't still deal with it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I cope? 
How? I just cry a lot. <laughs> that's, Amen, sister. That's a way to get it However out. However you cope is okay. Now, it let's really take that. endorphins. I mean, let's yeah, that's going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. it actually releases It does. Crying is actually really good for you. Well, then I am super healthy. <laughs> but with that said, I'm not talking about alcohol and drugs. No, I'm, no. I'm talking about healthy coping. And that is one thing that as a school counselor and a professor, I do talk about a lot. If you do not self-care after you listen to stories on podcasts or watch these documentaries or, you know, watch even these sensationalized movies. I mean, let's talk about like the Scream franchise or the, I mean, these are things that, yes, they are not, they, and I say Scream didn't come from a true story. It actually kind of did. It did, but it didn't. It did, but it didn't. It did, but it didn't. But so did the chainsaw, (laughs) the chainsaw. Texas Texas Chainsaw Chainsaw Massacre. So all these things they were sensationalized yes but most of the time they were derived out of something Mm -hmm. at some point you're going to say okay wow this is overwhelming Mm -hmm. and so you have to learn to go stop go like i do turn that off i go paint i love to paint Mm -hmm. you know i can't draw but i'll have my bubble bath i'll have yeah someone draw me something and i'll paint it or journal or you know, or whatever, you know. Or play video games yes. mindlessly. Some, like we're yes. going to do when we're done with this episode. Some funny <laughs> cat videos on YouTube. Yes, do something that turns your mind off. That, that little game Stray. Oh my gosh. The that, it was game. so cute. It was so cute. Let me tell you. Have it was you a very it? easy there way to play that. There is absolutely yeah. one part of that game that is nightmare <laughs> full. Yes. Yeah, that's true. yeah but, you're not wrong. Yeah, but for but the most it is part. it's a fantastic experience. It evoked yeah. like, all the um, human emotions in me. And as, I just... as an artist, I'll tell you, I have the exact same process with, but it goes in reverse. But it's still coping. And it's still, but it's still, uh, a way to healthily acknowledge that which you see. I do a different thing where I go harder into the info and for the purpose of feeling the abstraction. Almost dissecting it to a exactly. point that you can yeah. get those... It's taking it to a point of understanding what is actually dark about something mm-hmm. versus what is displayed as dark. The true facts like yeah. hard facts about something and not just looking at the sensational and then i use them for art because yeah. i'm a i'm kind of sick but yeah. it's a lot of my coping mechanism is hearing these horrible things out in the world and being able to put them into this true crime podcast to feel like you're making a difference yes yeah. yes yeah and like it almost like gives me this sense of relief when we're done talking about a case, I've done all the research, I've done everything I need to do. We sit down, we record it. I hit that record button to turn it off, and I'm just like, oh, I can let that case go. There I is, can let it go now. There is you know? deep personal power in acknowledging the actual darkness of something. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to be, you don't have to dwell on it. Mm-hmm. But acknowledging the actual darkness of a situation is how you prevent yourself from that trap of be of thinking you're tough enough to handle something and mm-hmm. you d- you don't have to cope with this yeah. it's by acknowledging the demon in the room it allows you to understand that it always will be a bad thing mm-hmm. well and there is no one again on this earth that can handle every single Thing that's thrown at you. I don't mm-hmm. care what and anyone it is, who we, tells you they can is a liar. Yeah. It, it, we are not made that way. Mm-hmm. We do not have that. That's why we have fight or flight. 
in us because mm-hmm. we are not made that way. Yeah. We are made to automatically go into where our subconscious takes over when we're in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. And that is because we're not, if we knew every single second what was going on and the dangers around us and that we could die and our conscious was in control of that every minute, how would we be able to live? Mm-hmm. We'd live constantly in a state of fear. So that's why our subconscious is very big because it helps us live our daily lives and not think at any moment, any moment we're just, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. if that's all you thought right. about and that's why they, you know, your mind, you don't age. People are like, Oh yes, you do. And I'm like, no, you don't. You do not age in your mind because your mind does not know different. Yep. And if we aged in our mind, then we would also be aware of all these things every single second. Mm -hmm. And we just can't, we're not made that way because we wouldn't be able to function. Yeah. This is why we have a psychologist on the show. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to move into, uh, out of ethics and into professionalism. And we can start with networking. I don't care how large of a podcast you are. You should never act like... Another podcast is below you, is beneath you. I have had several podcasts, smaller podcasts, that I have helped in the past that I've done crossovers with that I have reached out to because I go, hey, they've got something going on there. It's not flushed out. Maybe they're brand new, but they'll figure it out. They'll get it. And they seem like pretty cool people. Um, There have been a couple of events that we've gone to (laughs) that uh, has been not, that's not been the case. Um, It seems like if you're not on a certain level or you're not the same type of podcaster, I feel like there's a lot of separation again between the entertainment podcast a true crime podcast crew and the advocacy true crime podcast crew and we just don't really mix and mingle that well and that's that's fine but i think before you label somebody one or the other you should at least try networking and getting to know them first no matter righteous snobbery yeah no no matter who they are what kind of podcast they run i mean if it's supernatural if it's true crime if it's self-help whatever we're all in this for the same thing to help people they are putting themselves out Mm -hmm. there they're probably just trying to figure out just like you did when you started so don't snob it up (laughs) very much at a certain um event uh, it did feel a lot like high school 2.0. Yeah. Yes. Very yes. clickish. Um, very clicky. I'm Nepotism. I, I will yeah. say this. Uh, Mandy, I think you just probably dropped the greatest idea I've ever heard in my life uh, because of the way that you, something you just said, the idea of a supernatural self-help podcast. <laughs> I mean, wow. that, that's probably, yes. the, Do you say, mean that would be probably the single most entertaining thing how ever. to meditate and levitate. Chicken soup for the modern uh, Bigfoot soul. Peace and love. How to cross over to the other side, please, for God's sake, leave my house. Yes. Peace and love. Yes. Peace and love when you're demon possessed. There's a particular house I could say that about. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of podcast it is. Network. This, This is how you get yourself out there. This is how you find dope experts to be on your show this is how you find great crossover experts um or crossover podcasts to do crossovers with i mean it it does not matter how many 
listeners you have versus how many listeners they have or how many followers you have versus how many followers they have. There there have been some podcasters who have been snobs to me that I have more followers than they do. I have more listeners than they do. So I really don't understand where that's coming from other than the fact that maybe I'm an advocate and they are entertainment. I don't know. And at least be able to meet them to know like, okay, well... I know what they're about, so I'll stay well, away from the, from and from the fear comes into that to me with other people. Yeah. Oh, and I think we were talking about this too. The fact that we were wondering why, and actually Bill and I, Bill is here today, although he's not in here, but Bill and I were talking about this earlier and he was saying, um, you know, that the entertainment crew, I was telling him how the entertainment crew and the advocacy crew don't really mix and mingle and how awkward it was because the advocacy crew are the ones that have the most experts on their podcasts, like working in the field, like forensic psychologists and defense attorneys and like active police and stuff like that, like us, active medics. Um, And he was saying, well, why wouldn't you want to mix and meet those people? And I literally told him like, Bill, it's because we know more (laughs) and they're afraid that we're going to tell them that that we know more and that they're wrong. That is not the case. That is not the case. We are here to teach. I will teach anybody about anything that I know about. If you want to learn, I know for a fact Mandy will teach you. Oh, yes. I'm ready. You come I know you she come will. To, I'll make a class for you. <laughs> I so, have an actual problem where I can't shut up about things. So, so yes. <laughs> instead of being afraid that you're not going to know as much as someone else, so they're going to call you out for not knowing as much as someone else, you really need to look at it as what can I learn from that person? Mm-hmm. Is there something that I can learn from them and take away from that interaction? This is why I have so many experts on. I don't know forensic anthropology, but I am down for Kathy Rex being on the show because I can pick her brain, even though I was really supposed to only pick it about the book, but I ended up picking it a lot more about forensic awesome. psychology. It's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, which like, in turn isn't that actually something she appreciated <laughs> yes, more she, anyway? Yeah, I think she did. Yeah, a lot more. I don't think people talk to her about the actual job so much anymore. It's exciting yeah. when people ask you yeah. about that. I'm like, yes, okay, let's go. I, I'm ready. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, we, I don't care. What I care about is that you want to learn more about it. You know, that's all that most of us care about who do who do have a hand in something in this field no that actually is a great point because that's that's even why i interjected earlier with the idea of the whole like self-aggrandizing snobbery it's that situation of yeah you kind of know that you're not taking this as seriously as someone else yeah but everybody has that reaction of this person's gonna look down on me Mm -hmm. well screw them and everything. Exactly. It's yeah. like, I'm me. They don't know me. Yeah. It's like, well, you don't know them either, sweetie. Exactly. So, that's a great point. That fear. Yeah. Who knows? You may be running something kind of weird and entertaining, I guess, in this field, but. 
maybe somebody actually listened to it and well, liked a joke you said. They want to talk to you about things. And maybe, just maybe, you realize now after three seasons that you're only in it for entertainment and you realize what you're doing wrong and you want to learn better and you want your podcast to evolve. Exactly. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know how to do this. I'd never listened to a podcast before when I started this. I did not know how to do this. I do now. I know exactly what to do with this podcast now. There were a lot of things that I had to edit out in the first couple of seasons. But now I know where that track is going and what track we need to be on to make an impact in this in this genre, in this field. We can all learn from each other. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing... That it goes back to the different perspectives. Well, it does. Well, like with me, just because I teach college doesn't mean that I know everything about being an EMT or a medic. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you right now, I do not. Yeah. You know, I I know that Rick he's told me about some things before, yes. and I was thrilled to learn it because mm-hmm. it's something I thought, but I didn't know. Yeah. And so I think that's a lot of times. They think, but they don't know. And until you give people a chance and actually listen to them Mm -hmm. regardless and you know, then it's just bias. It's in your mind. (laughs) Your downfalls are in your mind. It is. And I mean, you have to be open to people teaching you about their expertise, their specialty area. Specialty. That's a great way to put it. Specialty entirely something that I agree with you. Yeah. Just, I agree with you. And I don't know if it's because, one, I like you, or two, (laughs) or two, if it's because uh, sharing a similar background of education in this case, if it comes down to the fact that a lot of people don't, they genuinely don't understand that you absolutely can learn more about what you already do what you already knew yeah. from someone you disagree with yeah very good point because yeah. that's how when i teach philosophy that is the perfect Bingo. thing that i mm-hmm. tell them you how can you know that you 100 percent think that mm-hmm. if you don't look at someone else's perspective you have exactly. to weigh those options yeah. you have to understand the different perspective on those things. Like a, that guy might be an asshole but he's got a point yeah. <laughs> well, and or that's even, the thing even logistically yeah. speaking that yeah. guy may be an asshole but why does he have so many listeners yeah it's yeah, like, what is he doing? What is it that's yeah. doing it? Then listen to it and find out, oh, it's because he's disgusting. It's like, <laughs> or it's, oh, it's because, weirdly enough, he does say the right things. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah. And, and on that same note, I have found a lot of other podcasters, just podcasters in general, who portray who they are to the public And they are not that person. They are absolutely not that person in real life. And yet, because they've portrayed that to the public, that's who the public think they are, and that's who their listeners think that they are. And, I mean, it might be a facade, but it's working. That happens a lot with celebrities, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they portray when they interview, Mm -hmm. or, you know, and I'm not talking about movie roles. I mean, you might see someone on, Like a late-night show or something. Like a late-night show, and, you know, they're putting on their best face, and when you, if you ever meet that person or um, you ever, you know, really read like 
an empirical source that really has, you know, like a documentary, something that really, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, (laughs) that is nothing like I saw them on that interview. Yeah. It's that old catch-all of never meet your heroes. Yeah. (laughs) I want to just kind of close this out with some short kind of professional tips for if you're out there trying to, you want to start a podcast um, maybe you you have started and you want to figure out how to improve your podcast. These are my tips. Uh, the first one is sound quality. A lot of us started with a laptop and a USB microphone, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, you do what you do. Do what you can do until you can do better which is exactly what I did. Now I have a whole studio set up with a Rodecaster Pro and some Rode mics, and now it sounds amazing every time we record. The sound quality, as long as it is not choppy, it doesn't sound like you're in the bathroom. (laughs) Um, And I know that there are some times when you can't avoid that. For instance, if you do remote interviews, I know that a lot of my, it really bugs me, but a lot of my remote interviews, especially with authors, sometimes like I have to tweak the sound and stuff like that because it still sounds like they're coming through the computer. But um, sometimes you just got to use what you have. But uh, as long as you're not choppy, you have a decent setup, you have a decent computer, you have a decent microphone and you can get a good little microphone um, for like $50, $60 on Amazon. I actually have a, on our website, uh, the pod, the slash our studio, everything that we use in the studio or have used in the studio is on there. If you want to get on there and take a look and see what we use, um, what we recommend. The next thing is editing. And this, I know all of you are tired of hearing me say, <laughs> edit your freaking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, Raven, we're not tired of it. We've, <laughs> we've heard it in our dreams. But <laughs> I just, I yell that so much. And it's because you have no idea the step up in what your quality sounds like when you go from not editing your podcast and there are these big awkward silences and there's people sniffling and there's people coughing and you know it sounds like yes granted it sounds like you're just sitting in the room with them but it still sounds like that here and we don't have any of that and if you say um 47 million times like i do (laughs) mandy (laughs) you would have you just have no idea how much better it sounds when you edit especially when you do interviews you can take out all of those silence um, take out all of the awkwardness. It just, I feel like I can definitely tell when I've never heard a podcast before and I turn it on. Uh, if it's not edited, I usually don't listen to it. That's just how I am. That programs your audience. <laughs> because remember, too, the only thing you have on this is just audio. Yeah. And if it sounds yes. bad or unprofessional, mm-hmm. then people will subconsciously just think... It's unprofessional. Yes, and I think that it just sounds so much more professional when you have good sound quality mixed with your editing. And you don't even have to heavy edit. I mean, the girls at Oklahoma Cold Cases that do the Throwaways podcast, they edit 
and just those little parts like I just did a crossover with them not too long ago and those little parts that they edit out just little minuscule parts it just brings it all together so nicely how you can put just a little bit of music in the background or you know something like that like it just I feel like it really steps up your production value when you edit even if you can't get great sound quality just edit. For the love of God, edit your podcast. <laughs> That's the word today. Edit. Yep. <laughs> if you take nothing else away from today, take the word edit. <laughs> if you do a true crime podcast, you need to have disclaimers. Amen. That is a huge thing. We have disclaimers on ours, especially if you're talking about cold cases or if you are talking about suspects who have not been arrested, something like that, you need to make sure you put a disclaimer at the end that says, you know, uh, no one is guilty until they're found guilty in a court of law, something like that. Uh, if you've changed anything, your disclaimers are going to change with each episode, but your big main ones should be, this is a true crime podcast. It may not be for everyone. It has graphic a graphic nature to it um it may have explicit content and you know that last one that i just said of we're going to be talking about people suspects that may not have seen a court room yet so be aware they have not been charged or they've not been convicted or whatever um those are really important things to do pro tip release forms if you have guests on your show make them sign a release form that's just for the future of your podcast your uh, protection too <laughs> yeah and so you know contracts with um sponsors make sure you're doing contracts with them they know exactly what they're getting um and what you're getting in return and then we kind of already touched on this but how to conduct yourself at live events if you go to live events number one be nice to everyone number two and this is a big one podcasts like us are not going to a live event for a Vegas bender. We're not there to see the sights inside a bar. <laughs> so, unless a crime happened there. Unless a crime <laughs> happened there. Unless someone was murdered. No, I'm just kidding. See this? Um, this is the glass they were beaten to death with. <laughs> and I will drink more out of that, sir. Thank you. We actually have, I'm not going to say which one of us, but we actually have a recovering alcoholic with, on our crew and we don't we don't want to put them in a position where you know they are peer pressured into throwing away many years of sobriety and that's not what that's not what we're there for we're not there to we're not there to drink we're not there to we're not there to find our match made in heaven <laughs> yeah we are not there to Come date <laughs> if it happens it happens but you know <laughs> so weird what's Jean that pillow talk like yeah. <laughs> but anyway <laughs> and hello i'm into murder would you like to have sexual relations with me yeah <laughs> yes no. or no absolutely not <laughs> And can we talk communication? <laughs> yeah. We when we communicate guess. about meeting up with someone who put something together, don't just open up the messaging app. <laughs> Begin to type something. And then, because you know we could see the little bubbles, right? You know we could see those. I didn't know if you were aware of that. I'm not going to say any names, but I think you know if you're listening right now. You know who we're talking about. <laughs> 
You can throw the shade right back too, because we'll catch it. And then to delete it and then close the app and not respond back. It's very childish. It's hurtful. The bubbles are real, people. We can see them. I absolutely love the way you just said that. It sounded like the end of one of the episodes. We can see them. We can see them. We research things for this, okay? We yeah. can we can tell when you're ignoring us, all right? A lot of us are middle children as well. We research so. the so sociology that goes anyway. into ditching someone with their cell phone. We know. <laughs> and uh, I can psychology you, you right on out. <laughs> She'll expert. tell you everything that is wrong with your character and make you think about it before you go to sleep tonight. I can look at your brain right when you're not answering me with that bubble. <laughs> yes. Oh. Okay. So we have had a lack in communication to say the least. Um, I feel like I am, I over communicate. So I have a team. Uh, there are... Six of us, predominantly six of us, seven when they feel like it. (laughs) I feel like I over communicate, I think. Like, I'm like, okay, I just did the schedule and here's you guys schedule for recording. And then I'm like, oh, wait a second. I forgot this X part. Let me fix it. Okay, it's fixed. And you guys are like, oh my God, stop messaging me. (laughs) Well, that's just the standard of professionalism that you would come to expect from this caliber of a show. I'll have you know that I appreciate all the messages, (laughs) mainly because sometimes I just don't see them. But then every now and then I'll go, hey, wait, what? Wait, what? I I missed a whole bunch of stuff. I have 18 missed messages from Raven. Cool. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. When you're busy, you have to have that kind of communication, especially when you're doing a podcast, because there are dates you have to be on schedule and there are dates and times and you really have to be aware of that yes because and because there's so many of us i can't just i can't just take something off the calendar because someone else might not be accommodated i have to move it here move it there and those people might not be able to move and each one of us have our own work schedule and stuff like that and so yeah communication i think is key and i only do this for six seven people let's just say when you want to do a crossover episode communication is still key what are we talking about when are we talking about it what are we are we going to put it both parts on both of our shows are we going to do one part on yours and two part on mine like communication is key when you have larger events that don't communicate very well when they don't even really tell you when and where you're supposed to be um and this is it's supposed to be a professional thing then it gets very frustrating when you have to track people down and they act like they have no time for your nonsense. And it's only because you just need a little snippet of information to keep you going. Then yeah, it gets, it gets a little overwhelming. So yes, communication, even amongst your team, as well as outsiders and others is very important. It's a very professional thing to do. So (laughs) do it (laughs) i would also say if you are a podcast even if you're just starting i would suggest getting a website even if it's just a home page but if you are a podcast who is at least a year old and you have at least 20 episodes i would for sure tell you to get a website 
because no matter what your podcast is, there are different things in your genre that are going to come around like authors or whatever, who are going to want to get a hold of you, but they're also going to want to see what you're about and your website should tell them exactly what you're about when they go to it. Absolutely. And you don't want them having to scour for you on the internet because they will pass you up for someone else. They will. And, like, if it's literally just, like, for instance, our host is Anchor FM. If Anchor FM is the only homepage I have, they're going to pass me by because I haven't put in, put in any effort into it. So whether it's just a homepage or my elaborate website that I have with 15 pages, uh, I would really suggest having a professional website for your podcast. I also do professional emails when it just goes back to the communication thing um when i'm communicating with my authors or with someone that i'm collaborating with or whatever i always do like uh we use zencaster for the authors for instance and i always do this full-on email of this is what zencaster is this is how to use it here's a little two-minute video on how to do it if you have any questions, you know, like I always send that out. I always send out an episode reminder like three or four days before recording so that they remember. I know that they remember. They can put it right there in their Google calendar or whatever at the time. Make a dope signature for yourself. If you're not into graphic design and you're not very good at designing podcast covers, find someone who is because that's another thing. Your image is everything. There's also loads of third-party graphic design services yes. out there that already have pre-made templates, yes. pre-made things for you to use. There's also, as a designer, I can tell you, loads of communities of designers who literally, the way that it works in graphic design, mm -hmm. if you're not actually hired by a firm for any reason, people just put their stuff out there. You can go find these design uh, communities and just find a designer who is willing to work for you for for cost. Yes. It's not hard. There are loads of people who want to do that for you. We are an affiliate with Canva.com. Mm -hmm. I use Canva for... Love Canva. Literally everything that I design, I use Canva. All of our episode covers, any social media posts that we make, I use Canva. I think we've got some sort of discount or something on our website. You can go go look at that but i will say the one bad part of canva is if you're not super artsy you you're not super great at it the one downfall is they do have a bunch of templates but i would really suggest you when you download that when you're done designing and you download that do a google image reverse search and make sure that another podcast doesn't already hasn't already used that because i have That's actually seen that with several different podcasts uh where and actually oklahoma cold cases i love you girls <laughs> um for the episode that i did mandy for your show for your class oh, it had yes. it, it's it had its own cover and i did not want to spend just a whole lot of time on it so i used one of their just templates or whatever and then Oklahoma cold cases used that same template for their summer in the uh, murder in the summer series and I was like it, it's fine I'll go change mine real quick <laughs> it's like the you show up to a party and someone's wearing what you're wearing just yes put a sweater exactly on. so you know I would just say all just, you have to do is change the base color <laughs> if you do that then no one knows any difference well it same was, with clothing it was like obvious but yeah so you know i would just say that wrapping up 
And this is something you may be able to afford or may not be able to afford, but if you can, I would 100% recommend you do it. If you're a true crime podcast, confer with a lawyer. Ooh, yeah. They will answer any questions you have about what you can and can't say on your show legally. I have one and she is amazing and she literally tells me, you can't say that, you need to go fix it. This is what you can talk about, but you can't talk about this part or, you know, something like that. Also, she does all my contracts. Um, she does all my release forms. She does, like, essential to the running of this show. It's essential if you want to make sure that you're doing everything by the book, which you should because you are a true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Integrity. Yes. You want to throw some more shade? <laughs> you you no. start going. Get him, Gene. Get him. <laughs> I was just going to say... Edit. That's it. Edit. Edit. That's edit. 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 And integrity. It's funny because both of those words can be at odds with each other very hard. Yes. But edit your integrity. Edit for. Oh, it, yeah. Edit for integrity. <laughs> yes. Not edit your integrity. Exactly. Edit for integrity. Always answer your bubbles. Because people, oh. <laughs> I just got all the blood out of my face. Yes, because if people are, if people's little character is at the bottom and they're waiting, mm-hmm. you're caught. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Like when you when you get to be a, a medium or larger size podcast, you are going to have people in your inbox. Yes, it's just going to yes. happen. Period. Comes with the territory. Yes, yeah. it really does. You're going to have people who are suggesting cases. You're going to have people who are emailing you, going, "I know so and so. I want you to cover their case." I know that it can get overwhelming. I know that you have 50 million cases that you have to cover. Just always be compassionate and understanding. Try to answer them as soon as you see that they have messaged you in some capacity, because that at least establishes that you care about what they have to say which we do if it is like oh even if it's i i'm at work right now i will message you back you know Mm -hmm. after 5 p.m whatever it is just make sure that you're letting them know i hear you and i'm on it right yes there's really only one other thing i'd like to add yeah and it's actually something that you've done from day one me yeah once again what did i do now well no it's just once again one of the only reasons that i as your friend agreed to ever beyond this yeah besides integrity and everything never ever forget the dignity that everyone is everyone is deserving of yes yeah and i know this sounds harsh in a lot of and may be kind of an issue but never dehumanize both the victim and the killer do not remove the dignity of humanity from anyone because it will either it will lend either to victim shaming or to killer celebration yeah mm-hmm. yeah always treat every single one of these situations with the dignity that is deserved and never dehumanize your case yeah absolutely and along yeah. a similar um a parallel coming from an EMS perspective we've had to treat both the victims of a drunk driving accident and the drunk driver themselves. So there needs to be an amount of dignity maintained for both perspectives. At the end of the day, we are all human beings. We all have blood that can be spilled. 
and every single human being is deserving of the dignity of their actions. Yeah, so uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and I felt like everything that we talked about was super important. I feel like there's going to be something as soon as I hit this record button that we're going to be like, oh man, we should have mentioned X thing, but that's the way it goes, isn't it? We just want to make sure that our listeners know that... We're here for the victims. We're here for their stories. We're here to get their their stories out into the world. We're not here to make money. We're not here to vilify them. We're not here for any sort of salaciousness or, you know, anything like that. Um, we're here to be professional about it. And we want to let, you know, the other podcasters know that we're freaking watching you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But Why are yeah. they watching me? It's a podcast. <laughs> Bye. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?